Ladies and gentlemen, I'm in a very interesting mood. Very, very interesting mood. For some reason, all I can think about is burning down Babylon. Yeah, that's, that's, that's all I can think about for whatever reason. In the words, Public Enemy's Chuck D, bring the noise. On the Fifth End Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in circumstances. I just, I just can't quite put my finger on it. Oh, I know why. I know why. I know. I remember now. Yeah, I remember. So yeah, I, I just, I'm just gonna get this out of the way now because I, I, I just, I, I don't want to talk about it. I don't care. I really just don't care. But you know, sometimes when you just, when you're walking the dog, and all you see. From street to street to street to street, it's fucking bunting. Okay, that's all I fucking see. Honestly, yeah, I'm 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 shit scared. I'm going to I'm going to uh, cross the tracks on Sunday in Brixton, and um, I I just don't know how it's gonna go travel wise, honestly, <laughs> because this fucking jubilee is just throwing everything into a tizzy and I just I, I I just genuinely I genuinely don't know how it's going to go and it's and it's scaring the shit out of me. I, I try not to travel on Sundays, you know, for obvious reasons. But um yeah, now now it's just on Jubilee weekend, shit. I don't know how it's gonna go. <coughs> I don't know how it's gonna go. So yeah, just um let me know. Um you know just I I just if there's any update <laughs> Just need to just need to get on that, uh, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I just um, I don't know, man. It's just, it's not it's not looking good. But some jubilee facts right here. Um, shout out to a uh, Kane underscore solo underscore right because um on on Instagram because I saw this today, and I thought it perfectly encapsulated uh my particular thoughts uh, towards this uh, particular um holiday event. Okay, so it goes it goes like this. Some Jubilee facts. Elizabeth Alexandra Mary Windsor, a brackets, a regular human, not descended from the gods, um, brackets, sits on actual golden throne with an estimated personal wealth of almost 400 million pounds. Her jewellery collection is worth circa 5 billion, made with 23,578 diamonds and gemstones, almost all of which were stolen from countries invaded and enslaved by Britain. Meanwhile, here on her very own doorstep, 4.5 million children in the UK live in hunger and poverty right now. See, this is probably the worst moment for um, for Babylon to celebrate a Diamond Jubilee. Um, you know, I, I the fact that everything going on in the UK at the moment, <laughs> and and now you have this, it's just it's just it just makes me laugh. You know, um, from a place of privilege, I laugh because while I'm not fully in the you know uh in in the worst sufferers of the cost of living crisis you know i'm feeling it in some ways but not in the worst ways where i'm hitting up food banks right uh, maybe not yet who knows but um 
<laughs> the fact that all of this is going on, and you you expect me now just just let's just remove the fact that Babylon, right? Let's just move Babylon out of the way, right? I, I wouldn't celebrate it regardless, right? Um, but imagine if I didn't care. Right? Imagine imagine if it was just if I just saw it as probably some, most people will see it, right? As a reason to drink, as a reason to have a pie, as a reason to you know get the barbecue out, right? Uh, just let's just imagine I'm that kind of person. Imagine if I'm a white person with um, no ties to the royal family, and I'm just here to grab a drink and get some food and chill with some chill with the homies and chill with the family, right? Let's just imagine that. Even if I was that person, right? Even if I was that person, would I not find it a little just? A little bit jarring, at least. A little bit jarring, right? You know, jarring to the point where you notice it, you might complain about it, but you're going to go to that party regardless, right? Because, again, you just want to drink, right? Or you just want to get eat and chill with the fam, whatever, right? Whatever you're doing, whatever you're planning for your Diamond Jubilee celebrations, right? You, ex- you expect me to just allow all that and just say, and just see it as just a party? I mean... The cognitive dissonance here is a bit hard, you know what I mean? It's just, it's a bit, it's a bit in your face. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too woke. Who knows? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I just know too much. I don't know. Because even, even if I didn't care about Babylon or whatever like that, even if it were, even if I weren't in that kind of mindset, um, I just, I, I, fi- I like to think I'd find it a bit weird that you know all of this is going down. And the cost of living crisis going on. I just, I just don't know how you just don't see the, f- don't see the monarchy as just a, 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 an obsolete relic at this point. It's a relic. It's a relic. As soon as the queen dies, whenever that happens, I don't. I, do you not really care anymore? Sure, you see her as a talisman of something. I don't know of what. I really don't know of what. I don't know what she represents anymore. I don't know what she represents to Pete, to the to the regular public. I, I really don't know what she represents because I'm all I'm seeing is poor people getting shafted at every every point, every single week. I'm seeing a new uh, headline of oh, poor people getting shafted in this way, and you expect me to look at the Queen and just go oh, God bless the Queen. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. God bless the rich woman, uh, the rich ninety-something-year-old woman uh, with a fucked-up family. Like what do you what do you want me to do? What what do you really want me to do? I don't know, man. Cognitive distance is a bitch. <laughs> it really is. Cause I I'm, I I just don't see it. I just don't see it. Anyway, that's all I'm gonna say about it. I had my little rant. Not gonna do a topic on it. Want to get on with it. And uh, yeah, so we have two TV and two music, and a, and a, in a slight contrast to last week, a complete contrast to last week. Um. A lot of a lot of linkage here, a lot of linkage, and I'm quite proud of my linkage here. So um, this is going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting how uh, how it goes from topic to topic. So with that said, email. Uh, ooh, 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 for me before we begin, nearly nearly bottled the the the, the uh, what was it? Well, how, how do you, what do you call it? Like a trend or just like how I say things? Uh, what's the what, the regular saying of things? I don't know how to word it. But anyway, formalities before we begin. Email Twitter. Discord link, there we go. All that, all that, all that in the full show notes. Please go peep the articles, give them a read for yourself, and support the writers that make this show possible. And with that said, let the beat drop, and let's get into the show.
week where Ray Liotta dies age 67. Kevin Spacey has been charged with four counts of sexual assault against three men. That's in UK and he's actually, I think he's voluntarily coming through to actually uh, prove his innocence. So, yeah. Uh, legendary post-war jockey uh, Lester Piggott dies age 86. Tory MPs once again mole, triggering, triggering a confidence vote for Boris Johnson. I'll believe it when I see it. And uh, as, as as you can imagine from my um, pre- previous uh, rantings, uh, it's the Queen's Time of Jubilee. So let's begin uh, with um, some little bit of nostalgia. So I've talked about this before in some fashion. Yeah, I've talked about nostalgia in some way. I think uh, there was an episode where I titled Nostalgia, but it wasn't actually towards this. I've probably talked about it in the prism of TV as well, most likely. Um... But still, regardless, I feel like um, it's worth it's worth doing the pulse check. You know what I mean on these on these kind of things, um, because uh, as most of you know, I don't know, myself, I don't know what your tastes are, but um, Stranger Things is uh, finishing up um, this final season. They're doing it in a very um, audacious way, where like it's I think I don't know four episodes or something, all feature length or some shit. I don't know. I don't. I don't watch the show. I don't really. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really care. You know what I mean? That's like the '80s aesthetic is cool, but you know, I don't know. It's all my steez, and uh, one of the children look weird to me. Kind of scares me. Um, but my mum likes it, so there you go. She she's she's gonna get into that. Um, when she's on when she's on holiday, so good for her. But um, I found this little article by Lewis Chilton, Friday Independent, and um, it's called Stranger Things is 1980s nostalgia has long passed its sell by date. Um, so, you know, he's going for more, uh, you know, just popping shots at Stranger Things, but I kind of want to talk about the overall nature of, um, you know, this nostalgia milking that TV industry is doing, and has been doing, let's be real, probably since Mad Men popped off, um, yeah, probably since Mad Men popped off, and Boardwalk Empire and all those, but that wasn't really, I don't, do you consider that nostalgia bait? Uh, do you consider, uh, the, uh, uh, what's it called, uh, depression, is it depression era? Uh, what was the um? What's the word for it? Um, ah, oh, the, the when it was when they alcohol the alcohol like uh they they you know they said no alcohol in the US. Uh, there was a it was the right term for it. That's gonna annoy the fuck out of me. But anyway, let's go. Let's just go depression here in America. You know what I mean. Um, you know, do you, do you, is that nostalgia bait? Like you getting is that uh, does that give you a whiff of? Oh yes, I I wish I was there. You know what I mean. I, oh, I I wish I was in Atlantic City. Um, you know. No, no, I don't think I didn't. I never watched board. Well, I did watch Boardwalk Empire, but I never watched it thinking, hmm, I'd love to be there. Um, but yeah, anyway, you know what I mean. Let's jump right into the cycle. Let's see what he said. I'm sure you don't need telling about nostalgic appeal for tra- of Stranger Things for a series that traffics in all manner of supernatural occurrences, telekinetic teenagers, alternate dimensions, demonic possessions. It is first and foremost a series series about the 1980s, or rather, it is a series about what we all imagine the 1980s to be. Uh, devotees of the Netflix sci-fi have drawn the obvious comparisons to old Stephen King stories, films of John Carpenter and Steven Spielberg. The latest season borrows heavily from 1984's horror classic A Nightmare on Elm Street, but Stranger Things has always lacked the depth of its forebears. As well as rounded a rounded interest in the realities of the time period, it is, as the kids say, no thoughts, just vibes. <laughs> I do like that term. Uh, the series, um, which returned for uh, the first volume of its fourth season on Friday, is one of many recent films and TV shows to have plumbed this specific reserve of nostalgia. Without even leaving Netflix, you've got projects like Russian Doll, Glow, and Black Mirror's much-talked-about episode San Junipero. 
Elsewhere, everything from the Americans to the Deuce. The Deuce was sick. Love the Deuce. That was really good. Um, to super authentic, I feel. Um, to Super Eight has thrust viewers um, back uh, into back to the eighties. The teen protagonists of the twenty seventeen King adaptation. It seemed to breathe the very same air as the Stranger Things kids. If it weren't already deep into development when Stranger Things first debuted, you swear to God that a studio executive must have turned on Netflix one evening and gone, I want that. The appeal of Night and Age should be fairly obvious. It draws on not just a nostalgia for the past, but for a lived past. Much of Stranger Things' core viewing demographic would have got grown up in the 1980s or otherwise lived through it. Uh, though, e- though even if you weren't born then, you still likely uh, grew up in Enconced? Is that the word? Enconced? Ensconced? S-E-N-C-S-C-E-N-S-C-onced. Ensconced. Interesting word. In the years afterglow, the films, the music, the fashion, another crucial factor in the appeal of 1980s, it was the last decade in history before the popularization of the internet and mobile phones. That's a very good point. That little part, that's a very good point. Of course, cinema and TV has have always indulged their fascination with bygone decades in the 1970s and 80s, you had huge hits like Back to the Future or Happy Days, which drew on the exact uh, same sense of lived nostalgia. To his credit, Stranger Things' approach to the 1980s mostly avoids lapsing uh, into overt sentimentality about the glory days. As a lot with 1980s supernatural fiction, the show actually uses its horror-inflected premise to explore the unseen evils beneath the surface of suburban American life. The problem arises when we ask why exactly creators Matt and Ross Duffer uh, chose to set the show in this time period. Is there a better reason than simple convenience and the plot contrivance? What does it really want to say about the era? The very best TV period dramas of the recent years, Mad Men, there you go, uh, The Deuce, Vax, Halt and Catch Fire, uh, understand their time period not just as an aesthetic, a set of circumstances and events, but as a fluid part of the larger continuum is that how you spell continuing with two U's? Huh, did not know that. Um, don't know why else I'd spell it, but it looks weird. Continuum uh, of human history. The 1980s aren't a vibe, but an os- <laughs> obscenely complex matrix of socio-economic movements, interpersonal stories, uh, histories, sorry, and conflicting ideologies. When you watch Stranger Things or It, the 80s aesthetic feels simply like a fad. When you watch The Deuce, or to use a British example, Shane Meadows' brilliant This Is England 86 and 88, it could hardly feel more real. Um, I, I, I've only watched like probably an episode's worth of Stranger Things, um, and I completely see where he's getting at already. Um, I just feel, from what I've seen, it just has the aesthetic of it and doesn't really, you know, just, you know, dig into it. It's kind of, it's kind of just like a backdrop, if anything else. It's kind of just like set in the 80s and there's no reason anything else for it just the fact that it's set in the 80s look guys it's set in the 80s and obviously they draw much more upon the supernatural elements you know um harping back to carpenter spielberg but yeah they just kind of use the aesthetic for you know just points if anything and not really as a you know, as a, as, a, as a driver as an engine for anything else while obviously the deuce and mad men is you know steeped in that shit, knee deep, neck deep practically in it. Uh, I am hardly of course the first person to politely suggest that Stranger Things is more style than substance. Back in 2017, the Telegraph's Robbie Collin described the series as quite pandering and empty, the TV equivalent of those social media accounts that post things like, retweet if you love watching Airwolf. 
That's great. Um, but it is a point worth reiterating. Especially as we look to be on the cusp of a new wave of throwback uh, series set during the Roaring 90s. The decade, long considered uh, too garish and obnoxious to romanticise, has served as the window dressing uh, for a number of recent projects, laser-targeted ageing young millennials. Like me! <laughs> that, that wasn't the article, that was me, obviously. Uh, among them, Yellow Jackets, Netflix's Fear Street, 1994, That 90s Show... I am interested to see what night show that night show is about. Not even not because of the nineties, but just because it's obviously a spin-off of that seventies show, and I really enjoy that seventies show. So I just I just want to see what that's saying. Uh, Pam and Tommy and Young Sheldon, the latter of which I could not give a fuck about. Two shits I could give a fuck about Young Sheldon. Um, the nostalgia boom will not end with Stranger Things. The past, as they say, is a foreign country, and who doesn't have a holiday abroad? Stranger Things has been undeniably useful in articulating our uh, collective yearning for a not-too-distant past. For a way of living that is already foreign to us, but after four seasons this reductive vision of the 1980s remains a little more than a backdrop. So, minor point that I kind of want to stretch um, here, and I actually never thought about this, but it actually makes sense now that I'm thinking about it. I feel like we do this all the time now. I feel like this is this always is the case. So let me go back to this par- little paragraph here. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But um, of course, cinema and TV have always indulged a fascination with bygone decades. In the 70s and 80s, you had huge hits like Back to the Future or Happy Days, which drew on the exact same sense of lived nostalgia. So we can just... This is going to hap- This is going to happen all the time, right? This is going to happen forever. There is always going to be a market for nostalgia bait. Like, this has been happening in music. I've noticed this in recent years where... Um, I don't know if I've talked about it on this on this podcast, but I've talked about it several times on DITD. Um, and th- there's been a lot of albums recently. Um, you know, my favourite of which is Lauren Vuller's Pink Noise, which is a full-on 80s pastiche. Um, throw, shout out the, you know, Silk Sonic. Um, shout out Dua Lipa's, uh, I forgot, Summit Nost- Future Nostalgia. Right? throw you know a few more out there i'm sure you can think of others is it charlie xcx i forget um but anyway um you know there's this that's that's been happening in music recently and i've noticed that and while i'm not you know too hyped about 80s music you know there's some bangers here and there but the overall vibe of it i'm you know i have to be in a certain mood for but i feel like this is going to be a thing now um i feel like this is just going to be a thing where people just pluck shit from you know, from uh, from a, a a bank of twenty to forty years, right? A little bit of a gap there, right? At least twenty, but no more than forty, and they're just going to milk, 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 milk as as soon as they get the chance. By twenty thirty, we're going to be seeing shows about the two thousands. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. There's going to be so many shows about the nineties. Guarantee that it's just and you know like like the article said is is already starting. It's already starting the ninety shit that ninety show. Pam and Tommy. That's going to be happening now, and that's going to go on for another at least twenty years. You, you're just going to see nineties nostalgia. So, wow, this has just broken broken my brain a bit because I'm just going to be like, oh damn. I was I was I, I went into this answering uh, asking the question, um, is nostalgia rinsed? But nostalgia's never rinsed. They're just going to keep going and going and going because at the end of the day, nostalgia is a fucking good drug. We love that shit. We really do, man. Uh, you know, I'm I'm going to be... 
I'm, I'm sure people are going to be blasting music from their youth, right? And, you know, I do sometimes, not all the time, but, you know, sometimes I just have those days where I'm just like, damn, let me just pop on some fucking, you know, Gerish Die Trioner at 50 Cent, or let me pop on some Boy in the Corner Dizzy Rascal. Let me do that. Let me let me pop on some Calvin Harris of, you know, when he was popping in the mid uh, mid uh, early 2010s. You just go for it, man. You just do it. Um, and I feel like that's just going to be the thing now. That's, that's going to be the thing, and it will forever be the thing now. Um, I feel like the industry is probably just at that grown-up stage where they saw Happy Days, they saw Back in the Future, Back to the Future work, and it's just going to keep going and going and going in in cycles, in generations. Whenever there's a, whenever my generation becomes the you know the norm, we're going to get a ton of, we're going to demand a ton of nighty shows. Not even demand it, but we're just going to be given it, and we're just going to be like, "Oh shit, yes, I remember that shit. That shit's lit, or that, or that moment in life was lit." You know what I mean? Just and you know, we're going to be like, "You kids don't know. You kids do not fucking know, bro. You don't know." And that's what we're going to do. So, wow, that's something to think about. <laughs> Nostalgia is 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 just ubiquitous at this point. It's it's going to be ubiquitous in TV. And uh, as a mean segue, it's probably going to be ubiquitous in music now, Um, funny enough. So speaking of uh, music, (laughs) we're going to start with our first of two music uh, segments. And uh, like I said, it's going to be based on nostalgia in some way. Um, <laughs> this is labelled as cheesy shot samples, but I'm just going to say nostalgia bait. Um, so this is called uh, Amid a Rash of Cheesy Samples is UK Rap Running Out of Ideas. This is by Will Pritchard. Um, and, uh, you know, it, I, I, can see, I can imagine... I can see, I can see where this is going to go already. Um, but let's, 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 let's give it a spin, see what happens, see what's going on. It's hard to say precisely where UK rap's current obsession with sampling uh, uh, Naughty's uh, pop song started, but perhaps the catalyst was the borrowed guitar licks and lady saw voc- vocals uh, that announced Teddy One, Aida Tracy and Stormzy's Ain't It Different back in 2020. When three of the biggest uh, scene's biggest and most influential stars, mine, Preeti, one hit Wonder Nostalgia, and uh, score a hit of their own, the idea is short to travel. Most would recognise those clean guitar notes as coming from Crazy Town's 2000 hit, uh, 2000 hit Butterfly. Itself a lift from Red Hot Chili Peppers, Pretty Little Di- Ditty, Pretty Little Ditty uh, from 10 years earlier. Uh, as the old saying goes, if you can't beat it, inquire about who owns the publishing licence and then sample it heavily. That's great. Uh, it's a motto that some uh, UK drill rappers have adopted with gusto, leaving fans to question whether it's harming or helping the genre. In recent months, homegrown uh, rappers have jumped on beats that lift heavily or wholesale from old Eurodance hits by Avicii, Robert Miles and Alex Godino. Uh, chart-bothering uh, Brighton boy RD has leaned into the perennial garage revival, rapping over heavy samples of Sweet Female Attitude's Flowers, and T2's baseline uh, classic Heartbroken. J-Lo's On The Floor has uh, formed the crux of a top 20 hit for serial sample offenders AJ uh, and, and J1 and Tion Wayne. Uh, last week, Wayne reached the top 10 with IFTK, essentially a drill version of LaRue's In For The Kill from 2009. This is how 
I, this is how deep I'm in my ecosystem, my own personal ecosystem. I have not heard of any of these tracks. <laughs> I feel, I've, I'm so far away from what the charts are showing and what Radio One's playing, Capital's all playing. I'm so far away from that. It's actually crazy how far away. <laughs> Fuck me, it's actually mad. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I remember In for the Kill. I remember that. I remember that being a tune in the half. Um, I remember the re- there was like a good remix as well. It was like really airy. I forgot who did it, but that was sick as well. So I can't believe it. Oh, remix, remix in Larue already. Fuck. Anyway, shout to Larue. I remember an album from a couple years ago. It was decent. Uh, plenty of uh, turn of the century hip hop and R and B has been the same. F- uh, seen has been seen as fair game too. The title track for Millions' debut album lifts the lead riff from Brandy Monica's "The Boy Is Mine." Uh, wove wove's v. Uh, FIFO riffs, um, Neo so sick, really? God damn, there's so many examples here. Fuck. Nods to Fifty Cent. Meanwhile, or worthy their own category. Diggity's latest album reworks three of his track. I, I, I remember that. Yeah, I, I was. I, I gathered that very quickly. And uh, Millions gave Candy Shop a do-over with last year's Bando Spot. Um, non-drill rappers have had a go too. Most notably, H, who grazed number one spot with his Ashanti blessed rework of Baby earlier this year. Horrible track, by the way, but gives Ashanti the bag, so I don't care. Um, all the blessings to Ashanti, of course. Um, he was pipped to the top by Dave and his track Starlight, constructed around an acoustic pop version of Fly Me to the Moon. Love it. Fucking love it. <laughs> you can't you can't write it. Wow, this actually really is a trend, isn't it? I, I didn't realise it was such a trend. I, re- I knew there was a trend, but not this much of a trend, like where every track's doing it. Um, as with H's new track, 1989, which samples fellow Mancunis of Stone Roses, these tracks can be earnest homages. Digger D said as much uh, himself in the release notes uh, accompanied his album. I grew up listening to 50 Cent. Big up 50 Cent for clearance uh, to describe some of those interpolations. Uh, some of these interpolations as samples, though, is to stretch the definition. Many are closer to cover versions than they are to the meticulous creative obfuscation. Obs- God, trip up on that word on hip hop producers such as Havoc and Madlib or indeed Daft Punk. Regardless, the UK sampling trend has proliferated to the point that fans and industry types have sub, uh, sub-genred it as sample drill. Really? Eh, I don't think that works. So it either has the means of disparaging it or neatly shelving it away uh, from what they regard as real drill. The race to... Ju- I, I, honestly, alright, so I'm not that into drill, not, not that big into drill. Um, I've, I listen to a few, a few artists here and there, but not many. Um... And, you know, I listened to the Digger D album, right? And I liked it. I liked the fact that he was going somewhere else with it and not just doing drill beat, drill beat, drill beat, drill beat. Uh, there was some variety there. So I respected that. So it's interesting how fans are calling it sample drill. And you know, like, like you know, like Pritchard said in here, either disparaging it or just, you know, notching it off from what real drill is. But I, I appreciate the... I appreciate the... um the exploration there but you know each their own i guess the race to jump the shark is on uh lils uh the wanted butchering glad you came who's sampling the wanted i'm sorry <laughs> no way uh the uh, sample lyric the sun goes down my zoo goes up was an early viral flashpoint that's since been anointed with official release teaser clip of swarms uh choreography and a tiktok bound dance for a crowd bar take uh, crowbar take on MC Hammers You Can't Touch This has already done the rounds. Uh, the world might be spared this one. People don't give him so much uh, people gave him so much shit I don't think he'll ever drop it one inside it says. Uh, Z-, Z Flippers? Um, 
I, I guess that's how you say it. Z Flippers Flavors has uh, followed uh, flipping Justin Timberlake's Rock Your Body, somewhat self-knowingly with all the grace of the last drunk stumbling out of the pub. Uh, the trend of sympt- uh, symptom- is symptomatic of major label interest. Uh, now we get to the nitty fucking gritty, don't we? Uh, and the anodyne chart chasing conserv- uh, conservatism that often comes with it. Uh, you don't have to cast your mind back too far to remember the corny dumpstep beats produced for the likes of Britney Spears and Cher Lloyd um, after that sound first gripped people's ears. Today, at least, it's often artists born of the drill scene who are spearheading the chart domination, rather than the faces producers making drill beats for established pop stars, though this does happen. Another handy aspect of the sample drill craze, uh, for labels at least, is that they make money from royalties if they own the rights to the original sample as well as the new song. Sweet Fim- oh, that's a good wrinkle, this is. Um, Sweet Female Attitude and RD, for example, are both signed to Universal sub-labels, and YJ, uh, the producer behind RD's Sweet Female Attitude sampling hit, is also signed to Universal's publishing arm. Despite its long arms and global reach, cap- uh, capital tends to favour the low-hanging fruit. But the drive to water things down feels especially pronounced in the case of Drill. The genre has been demonised ever since the Mail and Murdoch press uh, first caught wind of it, to the point that in UK courts an interest in the music is frequently painted as shorthand for criminal gang membership. TikTok dances and feel-good garage samples drape UK drill in a patina of pop, reskinning it with a more palatable image. There's an irony in this, before drill and before grime, the musical moral panic of the day surrounded garage. Um, and that's, that's very fascinating how that works. Drill artists also caught more flack than others when making lazy chart-destined tunes because the bar the, se- because the, bar the scene set for itself as one of the most original and exciting musical innovations the UK has produced in recent years, is so high. Still, the machine churns on. Much of the glut is in service of the streaming era's demand to have more of everything now. Netflix me- uh, measures success on how quickly its users binge content. Spotify founder Daniel Ek has told musicians that it's not enough for them to me- uh, take time crafting albums, and instead that they should aim for, quote, continuous engagement with their fans, unquote. Which um, really gets to the last topic of this episode, but we'll get there when we get there. When you consider the way in which artists have been co-opted into the language of this output-focused, tech-driven operation, where writing and releasing music is described in the same terms as likes and shares on social media, it is perhaps less surprising that opting for a market-tested chorus has become such a popular option. A strategy of throwing shit, J-Lo samples, at the wall, Spotify playlist, until it sticks. Is top 20 good enough? has become the viable one. <laughs> I'm loving this, this is great. Uh, cultural critics, uh, critics such as Simon Reynolds and the late Mark, uh, late Mark Fisher have written about the comfort uh, sought in familial uh, cultural artifacts and in reproducing them ad inf- 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 infinitum. Infinitum. There we go. Fuck. Jeez, uh, man. Uh, this isn't just an occupation of music makers. It can be seen in the seemingly endless reels of TV show and movie rehashes that populate streaming services. Cozy familiarity and nostalgia cycle um, have proven handy in introducing new audiences to old things. It's not hard to imagine execs using phrases like lateral fanbase growth when proposing Ed Sheeran does a drill song with who else? Tion Wayne. The trend also banks on another cultural mainstay, the guilty pleasure. Some of these new songs sample guilty pleasures. Some will become guilty pleasures all of their own. Many artists see a choice sample as their big break. Uh, Shawnee Caballero, uh, publishing Wiz in the UK rap scene, uh, recalls an, uh, an enthusiastic young rapper who had been releasing tracks to a small audience of a few hundred listeners and came to her with a new track he'd been working on. It hung heavily on an Ed Sheeran sample. Really? We're sampling Ed Sheeran now? 
Really? Is that what Okay. On an insurance sample, and he wanted to know if she could help him get cleared. In theory, she told him, yes, she could. But even if insurance label and publisher agreed, the rapper would be liable for tens of thousands of pounds in fees and unlikely to earn the, a thing from the song's royalties even if it did by chance blow up. To Caballero, it was a non-starter. But the kid in question was weighing the dilemma differently. The attention gained from a hit single, even if it was costing you money, could provide the platform he needed to break through. Call it Love Island logic. <laughs> I know exactly. I, really, I, I don't even like Love Island, but I know exactly where they go. Where he's going with this. All right. Call it Love Island logic. The show's contestants are paid a tiny weekly fee to appear on the show, but take part for the tantalizing prospect of landing lucrative influencer deals. And Ed Sheeran assist like this wouldn't be without precedent either. Uh, Young Bane's uh, Shape of You cover remains the keystone in his career. Caballero didn't pursue the young man's clearance for him, but is buoyant about the pops, uh, the pop that sample drill embraces. Quote, I'd love to see these kids having fun and dance to their songs, she says. As is ever the case, purists clutching their pearls and decrying the death of a scene when it takes on a mainstream sheen tend to be missing the bigger picture. Far removed from its origins of menacing beats and balaclavered video, video shoots, Drill has a place in pop now. Tion Wayne charted with some, uh, charting with some revisionist guff hasn't stopped the steady string of MCs passing through the studios of Fumes the Engineer or Tweeko in New Cross. Just as Dizzy Rascal doing a football song with James Corden, why did you ha- why are you remind me of that? Why are you remind me of that? Shout, shout, let it all out, come on, oh fuck, I'm talking to you, oh god, oh. Destined to lose that uh, fucking World Cup or Euros, whatever the fuck it was. Just when you, when you drop a song as crap as that, you just you just knew it was going to be an L. Oh gosh, just bring back Skinner and Badil like we all do. Like we do every time. Just do that. Just do Free Lions, right? It's fine. It's it's a banger. It's a classic banger. We all fuck with it. It's 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 easily it's easy to learn. It's easy to sing. Free Lions on the sh- jewels remain still gleaming. It's just. It's great. It's coming home. It's coming home. It's fun. It's fun. Just leave it like that. Don't make any more football songs. Don't don't care. Anyway. Fuck you, Will Bridger, for reminding me of that. God damn. Alright, let's continue. <sighs> Just as Digital Oscar doing a football song with James Corden didn't stop kids filming freestyles in their cars or wildly dishing out more than 200 new grime songs in 2010, Tion Wayne has a new coldly non-pop track out with gigs this week. With all that being said, trends like these always have expiry dates. The bigger, more intriguing question is what will be the song that tips, the one of, uh, tips this one over the edge? Has anyone remixed the Balamori theme tune yet? On TikTok, yes, more than once. Of course, they have fucking no fuck TikTok. God damn it. Fuck's sake, man. It's a, you can't get... Everything's, everything's rinsed. Everything's rinsed. Like, that's, that's kind of all I'm, all I'm learning from these two, two fucking segments. Everything's rinsed. Everything's rinsed. Nothing's original. Um, you know, things are original for like a couple of years at a time, and then and then it's just back to being rinsed. Everything's rinsed again. It's just fucked. I, I just, it's exhausting. And again, I'm not even to drill that hard, but the fact that there's so many examples is actually quite baffling. It's it's really quite baffling, and it's kind of obvious how much of a how much of a just a mainstream uh, push this is. You know, if you're in, if you're on a label, right? Um, and you know, not even you know, a small label under Universal, as the, as you know, one of the examples were here. Um, you know, if you're doing that, 
Well, if you ain't doing that, you better be doing that. Because your label's going to be going, hey, we're going to need to do this. And la-di-da, they're fucking doing it. It's just, it is. It's label, it's label-driven, I feel, most of the time. Stormzy did it, right, with, with the Age of Tracy and I forgot who else. They did it, they succeeded in it, and then another did it, and then another did it, and now they're all doing it. And now it's just, it's just clout chasing, to be honest, and like, you know, and are the songs good? Hit me up, guys. Let me know if these songs are actually good, because, you know, I, I listened to the H, Baby, and I was like, oh, oh I, I just wanted it to hell. I just wanted it to hell. And, you know, I hate to say this, but shout out to Ben, the ITD. You know, he, he keeps saying when he hears a song similar to another song or that samples another song, he just wants to listen to the original. And I felt the same way. I listened to H's Baby, I felt sick, and then I went to listen to Ashanti's Baby, and then I felt better all of a sudden. So, I don't know, man. It's just, um, it, it's just, it's just grime. It's just grim. It's, it's, not, it's not grimy in that fashion, but it's grimy. I just, I'm just not here for it. I'm not here for it. And, um, I, I don't know if anyone actually fucks with it, to be honest. There, clearly people do, because, mate, it's gone mainstream, but, ugh, goddamn, man. It's just, I'm, I'm just feeling a lot of clout chasing here. That's kind of what I'm smelling. I'm just, I'm just smelling, I'm just smelling the chase for a hit. Ugh, that's all, that's all I'm smelling. It's just, I'm smelling label bullshit. That's all I'm smelling. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm smelling shamelessness of, uh, you know, people hitting up fucking Balamori. Come on, man. Do better. Do better. Please, please do better. So you know what? Fuck it. I was going to do this last for some reason, but now that I did the previous segment, I feel like this just has to go third. So I'm going to switch up. I'm going to switch third and fourth. It doesn't matter to you guys because, you know, you see it how I put it. Um, but I was originally going to do this fourth. But let's do this third. So this continue of music. This is a second or two. Um, and this is all about um, TikToks, funny enough, uh, and artists recently complaining on TikTok um, about their labels. <laughs> Basically saying like, you know, oh, why, why are the labels forcing me to do this? And, uh, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of in on the fence about this. I don't know if this is a genuine cry for help or, it, or if this is, you know, one of those things where it's cloaked as people saying, fuck the, oh, yeah, my label's being a dickhead. But then again, you're mentioning it and now you're trending. Therefore, you're getting the engagement that the label wanted. So... Yeah, how does that work? It's kind of like, you know what it is. It's like when it's like when uh it's like when uh WWE um was losing out to uh WCW on Monday nights, and uh, so Vince McMahon just basically just went, I right, I'm gonna carry this shit, and I'm gonna be the biggest fucking villain. I'm gonna be the biggest fucking capitalist villain you've ever seen, and uh, and then I'm gonna get rinsed by Steve Austin, and then everyone's gonna love it. So. I feel like that's what that's what that what this was. Um, if you don't know what this was, it, I'm assuming it will be explained in the article. Um, if you don't know, I will explain it. But this is by uh, Lucy Harbron, 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 yeah, Harbron. Uh, this is by ID. Um, it's called "How Virality Is Choking the Music Industry." All right, let's jump in. 
It's been a very scary week for social media managers working in music. After sharing a TikTok claiming their label wouldn't let them release a new track unless it came with a viral moment, Halsey, uh, is it Halsey or Halsey? I'm say Halsey, um, uh, sets socials alight with a conversation about the way TikTok has taken over music marketing. This was echoed by the likes of Florence Welch, Twigs, F... Why is it just Twigs? FKA Twigs? It just says Twigs. I'm assuming, has she moved FKA? I don't know. Um, anyway, and Charlie XCX um, in a viral tweet. Their captions about labels demanding TikToks, painting a picture of execs holding pop girlies hostage unless they perform a silly little song and dance uh, that caused a bit, uh, a brief bit of chaos until Charlie shut it down with a short tweet. Not me, I was just lying for fun. In pointing out that the caption itself was a meta attempt to go viral. There we go. Marketing that takes hits of marketing. Does that mean the state of the industry is even worse than we thought? There we go. There we go. They, they, see, see, they admitted it. Fucking, fucking jokers. They Vince McMahon this shit. They literally Vince McMahon did. That's crazy. Um, the weird studied nonchalance of the whole thing has divided the internet. When Florence Welch is suddenly posting singing videos after years of being aloof online, labels inevitably take notice. They schedule a TikTok into their new marketing plan despite knowing it doesn't quite align with the artist. And then people like me, social media managers, post it from some office somewhere, drafting briefs for how an artist can uh, could use a trending hashtag on the new big sound. The whole process splits opinions between everyone should be on TikTok and this shit is ruined. <laughs> this, I, I don't know why I read that as this shit, but, <laughs> but maybe it's a Freudian slip. Uh, this is ruining the music industry. I mean, it's the same thing. Uh, leaving artists to decide where, uh, where they're going to fall when it comes to their own socials and risking a blowout with the label's digital team. Quote, I feel like I make more TikToks than the label could ever ask for, says Piri of Piri and Tommy, who recently signed with EMI after their track Softspot gained over 100k users on the app. Uh, having a social media platform change your, uh, change your life is, of course, a great incentive to keep you posting, regardless of whether you personally enjoy it. Piri now averages two videos a day, while Tommy regain, uh, remains largely inactive with only two or three videos a month. It's the same story with Rachel Chena Riri, who I recently, uh, this is me talking, who I recently followed, my gosh, she is fine as hell. Oh my gosh. I, I, I did not clock how fine she was, but she is fine. And her music slaps, by the way. Um, you know, of course. Uh, who had a string of viral successes uh, with all I've asked and so my darling. Uh, another quote. <clears throat> TikTok is one, the one app I've asked to do myself. But my label will mention it now and then and inform me on hashtags or speak to me about trends. But in general, they leave it to me, unquote. For Rachel, the opportunity to go viral is the is only one benefit to the app. She treats her account as a new iteration of the Finster, putting personally, uh, personality first, music second. Another quote. I've been able to build a platform from just being myself, which I prefer, she says. But when she admits to struggling to take a break from the posting, uh, from posting on the app for fear of losing momentum, as though her growing success and fan support could be undone by taking a couple of days off, the darker side seems to creep in. <laughs> Sitting in the app's biggest age bracket of 15 to 25 year olds. Oh, I'm, uh, you know what? I'm low key glad I'm out of that now. Low key glad all of a sudden I'm just out of that demographic. <laughs> low key glad I'm 26. So <laughs> low key glad I'm out of that age bracket. Fucking hell. It just feels, it feels better. I feel like I'm, I'm apart from the bullshit. But I don't know. Uh, Perry and Rachel are their own target audience. They're making uh, music for their peers. Others like Lu uh, Rebecca Lucy Taylor, aka Self Esteem, struggle with pressure, uh, with the pressure to post as digital teams attempt to take the uh, take the same mainstream hype per digital approach with the six music favorite. 
quite, I felt it, and I know I'll really feel it on the next album to remain relevant, but then why is relevancy linked to youth? TikTok feels like a weapon of that, to perpetuate this obsession with youth as the best thing you can be. Demanding that all artists do uh, do as the kids do. Rebecca's discomfort around how the obsession with an app uh, with such a young audience treat, uh, teeters into ageism brings out a far more no- nuanced converse, uh, conversation. Beyond the surface level, fuck label sentiment. Why are labels so desperate to apply the same techniques to every artist, treating them as a social media commo- as social media commodities to sell or personalities to market, rather than talented musicians with their own unique creations, fan bases, and brands? Quote, My main issue is how personal it has to be. Uh, suddenly, you're selling parts of your personality uh, that were previously just nice things about. Uh, Rebecca says, and if it doesn't quite, if it doesn't quote unquote work. It puts you in a real mindfucker thinking, well, past my personality are good enough. The currency can't just be you and who you are. The currencies have got to be the music and the merch and the live show and the performances, dot, dot, dot. But it's so, it's so less about that now. It's the toll it takes on your self-worth that needs to be looked at, unquote. I feel like that's, the, that's probably the best part of this um, piece right here. Um, just that, you know, I feel like that existentialism towards even even how music goes right now um and how art's going and how um you know just content creation oh god i hate saying that i hate hate saying content and content creating and all that shit i hate i hate saying that but that's basically what this is um and how it's marketed you're marketing art and making it content you know what i mean just you know it's, it's, it's grim it's grim Anyway, minor ran over, let's continue. Uh, and while Rachel and Piri uh, both sing praises for TikTok, that toll is still there. Quote, as an artist, all your platforms become about promoting yourself. It makes you feel self, uh, super self-conscious because you are borderline seeking approval and people can be so nasty, Rachel says. Comment section nasty, this is nothing new for Piri, who has previously spoken out about the hate she receives in comparison to her male peers. After things I post, I get hate for. And I know that if a guy posted this, even if Tommy did rather than me, he would get overwhelming love. Pointing out the downside of focusing so heavily on uh, personality content, uh, content, um, the age-old issue of people deeming women annoying for being confident quickly rears its head. Uh, girls just get girls get hate just for existing. Period continues. I'm trying to promote my songs with a couple of videos, and people are like you've killed the song. Now I'm gonna never listen to it again. People are really childish on social media. It's actually just really childish. This is what the Twitter discourse uh, fails to consider. The pressure on artists to be more accessible, more digital, and share more about their life behind the music in order to promote it, whether the label is demanding it or not, steps into uncomfortable territory. This pressure is especially harsh on women, a double-edged sword of having to post more to promote yourself while still meeting the societal demand... Excuse me, that women uh, be attractive but not too confident, funny without being annoying. And as industry heads continue to buzz about the power of TikTok, many are still yet to put any support or infrastructure in place to carry the extra burden placed on artists or indeed protect their private selves while demanding they be more open and vulnerable online, all in the name of coaxing more streams out of their followers. But of course, what do you really expect support from labels in that fashion? How you fool? Why would you? Why would you think that? Why would you ever think that? In the digital sphere, 
uh, where attention spans are ever-shortening and mass opinions change in seconds, is it truly that beneficial to hook artists' careers onto something so flimsy? Uh, boiling artists down into bite-sized, catchy clips, the demand to embrace the short form doesn't provide much, for ho- uh, provide much hope for future artistic growth. Quote, uh, if I had a TikTok song that suddenly doubled my audience, Rebecca wonders, uh, wonders uh, I don't know how amazing that would feel. How real are they? And how much are they going to uh, going to be there for me on an album where I may change things up in a way that's a bit harder to digest? Unquote. By putting more importance onto factors beyond the realm of artistic merit as we empower the opinion of strangers online to now somehow play a huge role in someone's career, we transform musicians from respected artists into pop culture personalities at the whim of the public. Thank you. Thank you. Preach. Fucking preach all of this shit, man. Preach all of this fucking shit. It's jarring me. Like, the artist, man, I don't, I don't, honestly, to be real, I, I don't, I, you know, the personality thing comes through in some ways, right, and it's cool, right, um, who, who's a good example, shout out to Nao, right, Nao's great on social media, um, I don't, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't post constantly, right, she's not that kind, I don't, I don't see her as that kind of person, right, um, but whenever she does, it just feels... It feels worth it, you know. It feels worth to look at. Um, she posted a video today on IG. I saw her on IG anyway. It might be in other places as well. Um, but she, she, she. I think she's learning guitar or has or has been learning guitar, whatever. And she wants. And next time she hits up, um, you know, live shows uh, when whenever that will be. Who knows? Um, she wants to do Orbit uh, with a guitar, right? And I found I found that very fascinating. I was like, and honestly, it it got me hyped to see Nao live again. I want to see her live again immediately, right? That 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 got my mouth watering. I was like, ooh, Nao doing some guitar. Yes, okay, let's, let's see that. Let's see that. I want to see that. You know what I mean? Um, that's that that's the shit that gets me hyped. That you know, just that that little that little glimpse into someone's artistry where they want to grow and they are evolving before our very eyes. I don't care what artist A had for breakfast. You know what I mean? I I don't give a shit. And there's a few athletes to do that, right? And, you know, I follow them and I see it and I'm just like, okay, cool. And, you know, sometimes it's interesting to see, you know, what they do before a meet and stuff like that um, and how they train and, you know, provide insights onto that. But, you know, there's just, there's a, there's a level of saturation going on there. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. And you know what I do? You know what I do? Wait, wait, wait for it. You know what I do when I when I feel like that. Feel like that. I stop watching it. <sighs> Shit. Shit, guys. I just blew your fuck. Did I blow your fucking mind? I know I fucking did. Anyway, let's continue on for that many rant. Uh, quote: What is the solution here, Rebecca Ross? Because it's a great tool to use, but feels so damaging long term. Unquote. Even fighters that have benefited greatly from TikTok have no qualms with exceeding the demands to post. To hold the app on music uh, has to, to hold the app has on music. What? The hold the app has on music. There we go. Um, it's felt everywhere from the studio to the boardroom to the socials. New artists uproot the charts with overnight hits. Others are led to believe it really is that easy. Brackets isn't. And then labels expect whole rosters, often those who built careers before TikTok even existed, to compete with the same viral standards of success. This kind of pressure comes at the expense of an individual's private life and self-worth. Quote, I think it's going to be like how they all thought smoking wasn't bad for you, Rebecca says. I think this is going to be our version of that. 
and our science will be in our 60s and 70s dealing with a deeper and terrible backlash from this, unquote. Hey, man, shit, if you consider that now, don't do it. I'm being real, don't do that. If you, if you feel like that's the case, then don't do it. I just, I just, I just don't really... <laughs> And I mean, that's actually an embedded tweet here by um, Rebecca Lucy Taylor as well. So she says on Twitter here on this embed tweet, social media for me has long been another arm of my overall art practice. It's another form to play with alongside music and visuals to further my point, put meat on the creative skeleton, M- demanding more of it, giving briefs, uh, viral trends, uh, laying the blame on the artist for not. And uh, I think it goes on in. Uh... Oh, I shouldn't have read this. This is a thread. Oh, God, it's a long ass thread. <laughs> it's a long ass thread. I'm going to stop there. It's a long ass thread. I'm not going to go into that. But yeah. I, I just, mm, it's, this whole thing just is a big preach to me, right? And obviously, for obvious reasons, as you can imagine, um, I just, I just don't like it, man. I just don't like it. And I can see why, you know, the Rachel Chinneries and the Peeries, you know, why they do that. Because, like, it's like the article said, it's their target audience, right? But, you know, for, for others, it just comes across as a bit weird. Um, I, I just, I just don't know. I find it weird in general, regardless of how old I am. I found this, I found TikTok weird two years ago, and I find it weird now. I find it scary, to be honest. You know, ever since I learned about that, their, their parent company, what they what they've been trying to do a few years ago, oh, well, not even three years ago, but like a few uh, over a year ago, I did an episode on WG about it. Um, I, I, I might need to look it up right quick, but yeah, it's, it was just really fucking scary, and um, I'm, I'm just not here for that. I'm not here for any of that. So um, yeah, I just. I don't know, man. Do what you want to do if you're an artist, honestly. I'm just going to be 100% real about it. If you're an artist and you feel like you're doing too much, then shit. I mean, okay, so it's episode 139, TikTok, online activism and mass culture. Very good episode, if I do say to myself. myself. Really enjoyed that one. And uh, yeah, so go peep that if you want to peep that. Uh, me screaming about TikTok and um, having an existential crisis about it. I'll leave this here, um, but fuck, man. It's just... This whole episode has just put me in existential dread. Fuck. So let's finish off with our second TV segment, and uh, we're keeping it light with uh, the death of the BBC. Okay, so um, CBBC is um, going to be moved online um, in the same way BBC Three was. Did I say CBBC previously? I hope I did. I didn't. I hope I didn't just say CBBC uh, BBC Three twice. Um, easy to get confused. So yes, um, like BBC Three a couple of years ago, and now obviously that's back as the linear channel, and now CBBC is doing the same thing. Reasons because BBC is dying and the government ha- is to blame, of course. But um, I got this article from the conversation. I, honestly, the most clutch discovery of a website I've ever seen. Like this has actually got some clutch shit. Um, so this is by uh, Elka Weissman, a reader in television studies at Edge Hill University. Um, and yeah, it's called CBBC's Move Online could damage its identity, value, and brand recognition. So let's jump right in because this is fascinating. You may remember when TV channel BBC Three was made an online-only brand in 2016. The reason given at that time was that teenagers and young adults, the channel's main target, uh, ch- channel's target audience, were now all streaming television online anyway. Uh, the naysayers, including academics like myself, suggested that this was a bad move, and we were not exactly surprised when BBC Three came back as a linear TV channel earlier this year. 
Now the BBC has announced that it plans to move the children's channel CBBC online. The BBC says this is largely to cut costs, but also because children and young teenagers are perceived to primarily watch YouTube and other streaming sites which has impacted the ratings for the channel. However, as the BBC3 move showed, shifting the channel online would have significant other costs. CBBC, like BBC3, has been important to the BBC, uh, to the BBC's, uh, I'm going to say the Beep now, because it's just really jarring me saying BBC all the time, um, overall national and international brand identity and reputation. It has produced and commissioned some outstanding content, including the Dumping Ground, Horrible Histories, Goated, Horrible Histories is Goated, just want to say that, and the much-loved Blue Peter, Blue Peter and News Round. Uh, it emerged as a channel in 2002 when the switch from analog to digital broadcasting freed up space to deliver more channels on the same frequencies. And over the 20 years of its existence, uh, its existence um, is as a delivered fucking hell, programming specifically aimed at an audience of children uh, up to uh, the early teenage years. Such an audience is always going to be small in comparison to the mainstream audiences of BBC One and BBC Two. As such, it looks on the face of it as not really financially viable. In this context, the role of public service television is often mentioned. The BBC has a remit to cater to the whole nation, and that includes a specific focus on children and teenagers. However, such an, uh, such an approach also makes economic sense, as the children who watch and often love CBBC eventually become licensed fee paying adults. Uh, uh, why do I say adults like that? Adults. <laughs> Uh, but when, uh, but even seeing the financial strategies of the BBC in light of the role of building more viewers through the delivery of quality children's TV uh, content, oh God, I'm that word again, is a limited view. Children's television, in particular, uh, that commissioned, uh, commissioned or produced by the BBC, does well on an international level. The reason is that very few countries invest so much money in public service content uh that which <laughs> informs and educates and entertains them uh this content i hate that word so much it really does piss me off um is a valuable commodity for the bbc despite the perception that it's not financially viable when created domestically it is uh, it also is incredibly important in creating brand recognition internationally the bbc now gains pro approximately a quarter of its income from its commercial arm including international sales, which brought the BBC £30 million, uh, pounds, royalties included, in income in 2020-21. Children's television is an important part of that. Researchers in Norway have found that it is public, uh, the public service broadcasters that, because they need to cater to specific local audience, needs, to, needs and engage as many uh, audience groups in the country as possible, often respond in more innovative ways to, re uh, to their needs. This finding was echoed by research into regional audiences in the UK. But it's precisely this innovation and the need to cater to limited audiences that make the BBC's programmes produced in a way that is so that in a way so internationally successful. They feel authentic and speak to specific concerns. They are distinctly British and distinctly BBC, but are relatable to audiences elsewhere. Again, that all important brand recognition. The problem with moving uh, CBBC online is that, as the case of BBC Three already indicated, its local identity and relevancy will diminish. The identity that a linear TV channel provides and the sense of bringing audiences together around the same programs at the same time, which is a uh, which is such a, a central function of the uh, television more generally, will be lost. The BBC will most likely still produce and commission children's TV. 
but its importance to the nation as a whole will be less apparent. With that loss, the trend may as well be to direct its commissioning sites on international audiences, potentially universal audiences, and that fundamentally operates against its own interest. <coughs> so, I will say off the bat that um, I don't relate to this in any way. Um, I I was never a CBBC kid. Um, I was blessed with um, having Sky. Um, so, you know, I was I was spinning Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, fucking Disney Channel, Jetix, even Boomerang. Fuck, so many classics. Uh, even Pop, like had some had like fucking Beyblade on that for a minute. There were some. There was, I had so many options. So so many options, right? Add at least like twenty channels, uh, kids channels to my disposal, like ready to go, um, at any given time. So, you know, while but while but while I say that, right? <clears throat> while I say that, and while I, you know, don't exactly, I never grew up on CBBC. I understand the value of it. I understand, and I know people that grew up on CBBC and grew up on all the stuff and watching TV. Now, you know, you can you can finesse this and say. Oh well, regardless if it's online, you know, you know, they're smart TVs now. You can get BBC iPlayer, and you got it on there, so technically it could still be on TV for you. Um, but you know, some people prefer having the linear TV channel. It's easier to just have that there than instead just to, you know, go on your smart TV, go on the BBC iPlayer, click BBC, and then click whatever you want on it. Like it's, it's, you know, people don't like steps. People like seamlessness. And this is not seamless in any fashion, right? So, I mean, I just consider this, again, um, the government slowly killing the BBC. It's, 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 not, it's, it's completely obvious to me. Um, they're, they're, they're just going to slowly, slowly just sticking the knife in further and further, trying to kill it. Um, and, you know, soon they will. In a few years, they will. It's going to happen. Um, I'm here to, you know, just lament about it. Because I can't do anything about it. Make me director general of the BBC. See what happens, bro. See what fucking happens. I'll be. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. The ideas I would have. I would be creating the 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 overhauls I would be doing would be criminal in a good way. All right. But yeah, man. Um, it's 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 very unfortunate to see. Uh, just see. Just to see the same thing happen again. Like you you make you made BBC into a linear channel again. So why are you doing this? This cut costs. Fine, sure, I guess. Why not? But you know, hey, if if this is if this is going to affect the international side of things, ee, 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 then you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna lose money regardless, and you might have just shot yourself in the foot. So I don't know how how that's gonna work. I don't know how that business is gonna work. But yeah, man, I I just it's just uh, one more one more um, knife. Just uh, one more cut in the thousand cuts that um that the government and uh, and don't get it twisted, you know you you see BBC and you're just like oh yeah they're they're doing it on their own right, but the BBC make decisions on who on who heads up that shit. Go look up who Tim Davey is, see what see what you get, see what else you get. So anyway, with that said, ladies and gentlemen, I'll finish there. This has been a very existential <laughs> from the Fifth End Podcast Network. Uh, I've been Charlie Terry, and this has been a very existential episode of What's Good. In terms of music, it's been too much bite, but now you can find this link in the full show notes. Thanks to Joel Breakers for, used, uh, uh, for using the track, and you'll also find their link in the full show notes, as well as their Summer Essentials 2022, which I'm going to spin sometime this week. I can't wait for that. 
Um, loving the artwork this year, by the way. It's really good stuff. Uh, thanks to Nappy High for the bees used charismatic for the interview. You can also find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, I hope you all have a good week. Enjoy Babylon weekend. And that's all. <laughs> I shall try and do the same as I go across the tracks on on uh, in Brixton, and hit up Patrice Russian and Crangbin, Joy Crooks and Roy Fucking Ears, Mariba, Joyce Rice, Fuck, Charles Peterson, Fuck me, there's so many good people up. And with that said, I hope you have a good week. I'll sure it's time to do the same. But until next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.